everybody doing? Welcome to Worship in the Round. Uh, actually, we should probably call it Worship in the Pentagon or something like that, or pentagonal-like structure. Um, hey, right at the beginning here, um, if you've been with us for the last number of weeks, you know we're in a series called Me Too. Um, we're pressing pause on Me Too and postponing the last week, week four of Me Too, to next Sunday. And as you can see on the screens and <laughs> wall... Um, we're in Genesis 3 today, so you're going to want to look up Genesis 3 if you've got a Bible handy. If you don't, we have guest services, um, guys with Bibles there ready to help you out. Um, just slip up your hand, uh, grab their attention, and they'll help you uh, with a Bible. If you need a Bible, take it. It's yours. Put your name in it. Um, steal it. The preacher said you can do that, and it's okay. So, yeah, we're pressing uh, pause on Me Too. Um, had to call an audible this week. Um, I've only done this three or four times in uh, nine and a half-ish years of uh, being uh, the preacher here. Um, sorry I didn't get you know enough time with what I'd planned to do today. And, and it was too important what we're going to talk about in the last week of Me Too, the freedom of Me Too. Um, it's really good stuff that we're going to be doing to look at the life of Paul. I'm really excited about that last message, and I didn't really get a whole lot of time with it. Um, so I called an audible this week, and, uh, you know, sometimes you have to change plans because uh, plans change. So that was really deep. <laughs> you should all just change plans. Plans change. Tweet that. Uh, please don't tweet that. We hope it gets better than that today. Um, so I resurrected an old favorite of mine called Fully Known and Fully Loved in uh, Genesis 3, 8 to 10. Uh, this is a real cool passage, a real cool text, really meaningful and important, helpful stuff for us today um, about who we are, why we're here, and um, being people who uh, live in ways that reflect um, the love of God given to us. So last week, I want to tell you real quickly about Regeneration Recovery. We mentioned this last week. Uh, Regen is uh, recovering Christ when life is broken. It is, uh, in basic terms, we told you a little bit about this last week, give you a little more vision for it this week. Here's how we defined this for you last week. This is something we're going to be doing in the fall here. This is a Bible-based and Christ-centered discipleship training that is focused on fighting sin by recognizing our true identity in Christ. Let me read that again. Because that's what it is. It's important to understand this. It's a Bible-based and Christ-centered discipleship training that's focused on fighting sin by recognizing our true identity in Christ. Um, it is nothing short for us of a total reset on our understanding of how the gospel shepherds people toward spiritual freedom and toward health. Um, it's a reset of our understanding as people, as a congregation, um, how we lead people and shepherd them through the process of realizing who Jesus is, what the gospel is, how he uh, gets us to this place of spiritual health and freedom. Um, so we found out about Regen because there have been a few of us on staff who've been looking at these kinds of things for a number of years. Uh, I've been thinking of praying about something this for literally like five, six years. Um, and then about a dozen of us have been going to a Regen in Johnson City. Um, at a church there, um, about 11 of us, exactly 11 of us, in fact, um, recently went to a conference at Watermark Church in Dallas that started Regen. Um, they've been doing this for a number of years. They have a lot of resources there. We're in close contact with them and the church that does it in Johnson City. Uh, we have done our homework because we've been thinking and praying about this for a long time. And uh, so the elders have given us a go ahead to begin a pilot group this 
fall. I want to just real quickly clarify a bit. Regen is not group counseling. It is not therapy. Again, it is a Bible-based and Christ-centered discipleship training. It has a version of the traditional 12 steps, if you're familiar with those. Um, I'll tell you more about that later if you want to join us afterward. Um, There's a lot more cool stuff I can tell you about it, but my sermon was too long, first service. So um, if you want to learn more about Regen, join us after the service um, up front, and we will give you a quick 10 minutes overview of what Regen is, how it works, the structure of it, what a normal night looks like, and we'll let you see as much of the curriculum as you'd like to look through. We've got copies of curriculum up there for you, so uh, please join us for that. We're not going to read Genesis 3 right now. We'll read it in just a few minutes when we get into the message, but let's go ahead and pray and uh, jump in together. Lord God, we're gathered because we need to hear from you about who we are and why we're here. We need to hear a fresh word from you about the truth that you know us fully and yet you love us completely. So, Father, we ask that you would um, open our hearts and minds today. That we would hold as precious the grace that seeks relationship with us. The grace that you gave us and that you give us and that you will give us that seeks relationship with us even while we stand in the position of deserving condemnation. Lord, you're a God who fully knows us and yet fully loves us. Teach us that amazing truth today and so that we would hold as sweet and precious the gift of grace that you've given us to steward Make of us people who follow your son Jesus in stewarding it well uh, so that we would communicate your total love in the face of sin and condemnation. We ask this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. So I've mentioned this um, a few times here and there. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Um, when I uh, grew up in our family, we moved a lot. Um, I called it geographical instability uh, a few weeks ago. By the time I was 13, uh, we had been in seven houses, in six school districts, in uh, four churches, in six cities, in four states. Um, so, you know, adaptability for me personally became a real important way to sort of uh, cope with you know, it was kind of a survival technique for me in a family where we moved a lot, wasn't sure where my place was, uh, that kind of thing. And so I became, at a pretty young age, a pretty skilled social chameleon. Um, you know, I, I figured out ways to hang out with all sorts of peoples in those contexts, the jocks, the nerds, um, the preps, and uh, the stoners, as we used to call them. Um, all the various people and places at school and at church and in my neighborhood, which uh, Barrio Van Nuys, uh, actual gang sign, by the way, um, don't tweet that uh, or <laughs> don't. <laughs> my pastor flashes gang signs. Um, going to get me killed. Um, that was just an example. So um, because of my family's sort of geographical instability in my growing up years, I became a pretty skilled social chameleon from one setting to the next. Until about high school when, um, I mean, it still served me well then, but I began to realize at that age 
that I had always had inside me, this sort of gnawing sense that I couldn't really name well until I was old enough to, to sort of see it and realize it. This gnawing sense that I didn't really know where I was from or where I belonged. I didn't really have uh, a church home, and I was a preacher's kid. <laughs> I didn't really have a, a, a school district or, or, or place that I called my own. I didn't really have like a particular home that was my house. <laughs> um, I, I didn't really have um, a city I called my own. I didn't really have a state that was my own. Like Tennessee, I have lived here and been in Greenville uh, like twice as long as anywhere else. So like I'm a full-on Tennessean people. <laughs> There's a lot more to that probably than just living here, I'm sure. But um, I am a Tennessean now. So um, that kind of sense of place and identity and belonging um, was something I had this real strong desire for. Um, and I didn't really have. Now, don't get me wrong. All that fundamental family stuff was in place for me. My home was a safe place, a secure place. I knew who I was. I was a Wakefield. I was known and loved there. These fundamentals were very much uh, in place for me in my growing up years. But, but something in high school began to not me. I began to feel this hole um, like I didn't have a good sense of my place and my belonging in life. Like I, I, I just... I just wanted a place where like, I could walk in, you know, kind of like Cheers. Maybe that's when I realized it, when I started watching Cheers in middle school. I went to this place where I could, you know, open the doors. Because, you know, in Cheers, Norm would come in. It didn't matter who's in the bar. Um, he would come in. It didn't matter who was there. And he'd walk in, and everybody would say, yeah, thank you. I, I wanted a place just like that. Like I wanted a place where I could walk in and I could, you know, no matter who's there, I'd walk in the doors and they'd all say, thank you. Yes. <laughs> y'all, y'all killed first service. I'm just saying that was legit. Uh, please make sure that hits the audio. That's kind of what we want this place to be. Like Cheers Church, sort of. Like in that, in that one particular way, all right? Did you hear that clarification? Just making sure, make sure that hits the audio too, please. That's kind of what we want to create in this environment here. We want people to come here and understand you're known and you're loved. And that's a lesson we learn from the heart of God, first and foremost. That's what we're going to look at here in Genesis 3. For example, that's, we, we have this on Sundays, and it's easy to see an environment like this where we're in the <laughs> pentagonally shaped structure. We're in worship in the pentagonal shaped structure. Um, it's easy to see it in, on a Sunday like this when we do greeting time from Sunday to Sunday, right? We have this time where we, we say, let's, let's recognize that, that we're here in a place, that we're part of a larger body of believers, and you're welcome here. So we have this greeting time on Sundays, which for somebody who, like me who's an extrovert is like, yay, it's like, so glad to see you. No, really, I, I, I love you, and I'm really glad you're here. Can we hug and be best friends? That's kind of my feeling uh, when it comes to greeting time. I recognize, by the way, that greeting time for plenty of people who are introverts uh, may be like, don't touch me or I'm about to punch you in the face. 
That may be the feeling for some people. Uh, That's okay. You're fully known and fully loved, even if you don't want to touch anybody. It's it's okay. We realize different people um, respond differently to to things like greeting times. Um, But the reason we do that is because it's an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement that we're part of a community of people. And this is a place where we fundamentally belong, not because you walked in the doors with something we need, but because you walked in the doors as someone who's created by God, fully known and fully loved, inestimably worthy in and of yourself because God made you. Those balloons are because we had another baby this week. We had uh, literally four babies this week. We're going to have three more um, (laughs) sets of balloons next week. Uh, We just had two um, a little bit ago. We got a few buns in the oven. I mean, we got a whole bunch of evidence that these little amazing beings who are created in the image of God uh, have worth before they even come out of the womb. Are we preaching yet, right? Right? So, so why does that not apply to us? Because we go into the world and we pick up, we pick up this false idea that you're not worth anything unless you prove your worth to me. That's the opposite of the heart of God. That's the opposite of the heart of God. And so Genesis 3 today teaches us this amazing truth, fully known and uh, fully loved. Now, now before we jump into the text, which we're going to do here in just a second, uh, before verse 8, Adam and Eve have been uh, loving life. Things have been going well. They had this real strong sense because of the relationship with God being right this real strong sense before we get to chapter 3, this real strong sense of their place in the world, their belonging, their purpose. They knew who they were. They knew why they existed. But when we get to chapter 3, the fall happens, rebellion against God, and all of that sort of goes to pot. And their sense of place, their sense of belonging, their sense of purpose, who they were, what they were supposed to do in the world, that sort of just fell apart uh, and, and didn't work right. And so that sin separated them from God. But notice, jumping at verse 8. Notice how God responds in verse 8. It says this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now jump back at verse 8 again. We're going to spend some time marinating on this to see about God's response to their sin. Now remember, this is right on the heels of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, which is recounted in the previous seven verses. So look at the first half of 8. It says this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Let me set the stage here. Uh, we're going to marinate on the first half of verse 8 for a while because there's some cool stuff here. Let me set the stage by reminding you of a pretty important truth. God built this world as a place where he could live with us. I know that sounds sort of like pretty elementary, but it's pretty important to remember. God built this world as a place 
where he could live with us, especially here in the garden as we see. Now, this is significant to remember here because it's easy for us to get to verse 8 here. And, and it's right after their rebellion. It's easy for us to get to verse 8 and sort of misread verse 8 because it's right after their rebellion. Because God, we think, at least this is how I always thought about it as a kid, God had to somehow sort of miraculously appear from somewhere else to come into the garden because, like we were all taught, final graph on Sunday school, here comes, you know, God in the form of a, well, anyway. So God can't live with that sin in the garden. So we have this conception when we get to verse 8 that he has to sort of descend from on high to like bring the business to Adam and Eve because they had just sinned. Like that's how we think about this text. That's how we, in fact, misread this text usually. But notice, notice it says, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We think, isn't that nice? God came down from heaven to visit Adam in the garden. But, but listen, God is actually already present in the garden if you're reading what the text really says. He hasn't sort of left and gone somewhere else to perfect heaven world and then come back just to get Adam and Eve in trouble. We get this straight from the text. I'm not making this up. Look at verse 8 again. It says they heard the sound of the Lord God. Just think about this. This was a sound that they'd heard before. Otherwise, how did they know that it was the Lord God, the sound of God? They were certainly familiar with the sounds of animals and each other, but it says it was the sound of the Lord God. Apparently, it was recognizable as a specific kind of sound. The sound of the Lord God, it specifies walking. Now, maybe this was, you know, God rustling leaves as he walked. Maybe he, when he went for his walk, like the whistle. We don't know, but, but we do know that it was the sound of the Lord God walking. And there's a specific way in the, in the wording of the Hebrew for this word walking. There's a specific way it's used that connotes very intentionally here in the text that this was for God a habitual activity. This was something that he had been doing often. The implication is that Adam and Eve recognized him walking because they had been taking this afternoon stroll with him before. How else would they recognize what God sounded like when he was walking? I mean, other, other animals walked. They walked. But this was not the sound of the animals walking or the sound of Adam or Eve walking. This is the sound of the Lord God walking. So, so God had gone out for his usual afternoon stroll. That's part of the cool of the day thing there. It's an ancient Near Eastern term that was talked about as something that was a regular afternoon stroll. So God had gone out for his usual afternoon stroll and Adam and Eve recognized him. They heard him coming. They heard him coming. (laughs) But look at their response. Second half of verse 8. Instead of something that they normally would have probably done with him, They hid from him here. It says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You can just imagine, you know, right on the heels of their sin, they hear God coming. They're like, here he comes. Hide. (laughs) Hurry up. There are some trees over here. I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They scurried to hide. Think about this. This is what sin does. 
This is what sin does to us in our relationships. It keeps us, it leaves us feeling exposed and ashamed. Just a few verses before in Genesis 2.25 uses the same phrase, the man and his wife. Those are parallels in 2.25 and 3.8. In 2.25 says the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. But here in 3.8 it says the man and his wife hid themselves because they were ashamed. The text here, Genesis 3, pictures them uh, as children hiding in shame from their parents. Like that. Because the relationship was broken. Do you remember times as a kid, maybe for you it was multiple times a day. Lots of times as a kid, for me, when I was caught red-handed by my parents, the worst was having to stand in front of my parents red-handed, like with my head down, knowing that I had disappointed the people I loved most and who loved me most. This is that kind of a moment here for Adam and Eve. They suddenly had the sense they don't belong. Who am I? Why am I here? I feel exposed. What do I do next? I don't know what to do with this problem. But, <laughs> but look at the transition from 3.8 to 3.9. This is, this is awesome. Look at the transition from 3.8 to 3.9. The Bible is filled with wonderful but God transitions. Just look at this. But the Lord God, what did he do? He called. He called to the man and said, where are you? It says, at this moment, when they felt estranged, when they felt exposed and ashamed, it says, but God called to the man. As a contrast to their hiding, to their sense of shame, even though they wanted to run away and hide, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he answered, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now notice, notice how God approaches this here. This is so important to hear well. <laughs> for the truth that it speaks to us and for the truth as we speak this to others. God in this moment asks a question to draw them out from behind the tree rather than driving them away. He could have asked, why are you hiding, dummy? I see you. I know everything. Do you really think you're going to be able... I mean, he could have, he could have drawn attention to uh, the absolute futility uh, of trying to hide from him behind the tree. He could have said at that moment, I am God. I made everything. I made you. I can crush you like a matchstick right now. And you would deserve it because you've rebelled against the purposes for which I made you. You have sinned against my holiness. And that moment, he could have, if he had wanted to, brought the full weight of his vengeance against them in justifiable terms. He could have said, I know what you did. And you will pay. But instead, instead, the first thing that he does 
as he seeks to repair the relationship with his children. Genesis pictures God as a gentle father seeking his own children. A shepherd looking for his sheep. Listen, think about this. He approached them in this moment with grace. He approaches them with grace in the moment. And in a way that seeks to repair the relationship. Most of the time, (laughs) you say something about me, you do something against me, whatever the case may be, my first thought is not going to be, can we please restore the relationship out of the grace and mercy that comes from my unconditional love for you? That's just not how most of us operate. As soon as it happens to me, I'm like, well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this. If I were able to, this would be the next step. And I would never do this, but I'm thinking this right now. <laughs> I'd be on steps five, six, seven, eight for payback before, before the thought of even like, hey, this is a person of worth and value, known and loved by God, who needs to be to be brought into a restoration of relationship. Restoration of relationship is always God's first priority. It's all over the Scriptures. Think about just this. John 10.3. The Bible pictures God as a shepherd who's going after his sheep. John 10.3 says he calls his own sheep by name, by name, and leads them out. We don't know that John was thinking this, but it's the kind of thing where, you know, John knows his his genesis. He could have been thinking he's like a shepherd who leads them out from behind the tree. He calls his own sheep and leads them out. God's a good shepherd who cares for his flock by gently leading them out to restore relationship. Even as, here's the rub, even as he is fully aware of every nook and cranny of their sin and shame beyond their knowledge of their sin and shame. Are we tracking? God's a good shepherd who cares for his flock by gently leading them out to restore relationship even as he is fully aware of their sin and shame and all the nooks and crannies of that that go far beyond our own understanding of our sin and shame. This is huge. This is, it's everything. If you don't get this, you will mishear the gospel, you will misread the Bible, you will mess up your relationships, you will struggle with trusting God's provision for your sin. God is a good shepherd who cares for his flock by gently leading them out to restore a relationship with them. He is fully aware of their sin and shame. And yet, entirely loves them. This is what it means to say that God fully knows us and fully loves us. That at one and the same time, he is entirely aware beyond our own conceptions and understanding of our sin and shame. Fully aware and yet fully, totally, completely loving us. Meaning fully known and still loved. Fully known and yet loved. Fully known simultaneously Entirely love. This is a scene here, given all that goes on here with Adam and Eve, where in the middle of their moment of sin, he says, I see you. 
I know what happened, I still love you. This is the seeds of the gospel. This is the simple understanding of the heart of God. Stated in a simple way. In a simple way that if you think about it, take this home. Apply this to your relationships. I see you. I know what happened. I still love you. That's how the heart of God works. This is so important. This is so important. Because it speaks to uh, the fear we all have of becoming an outcast. And that was Adam and Eve's fear. The fear we have of becoming an outcast who, who has to rely on self to take care of sin. And that's a fear that the evil one preys upon in us to make us feel distant and uncared for and like we don't belong. You see, one of the primary things that the Bible says about the devil is that he is the accuser. It calls him an accuser. He has given us many names to remind us time and time again of our failures before God. And those kinds of names can become identities for us. And when these accusations about our sin sort of sink in for us, we begin to feel like we're wearing a badge and walk around saying, hello, my name is, fill it with your thing. Fill it with your failure. Fill it with whatever that thing is, whatever those things are, however many thousands of times you have failed in that thing. You, you, you go around, if you listen to the accuser enough, hello, my name is liar. My name is cheat. My name is gossip. My name is glutton, addict, adulterer. Sinner. That's the badge we often wear so easily. And then in our relationships with others, that dynamic in them, as they speak that to us on behalf of the accuser, it's confirming in us. And then we get into this, this endless cycle of self-shaming that goes on. It didn't come from Genesis 3, 8, and 9. It didn't come from the heart of God who sought to lead. Where are you? I just just want to have my walk with you in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve. Look at this great passage in 1 John 3. It speaks to this truth about being fully known and loved. encourages us to live with confidence because of this dynamic of being loved beyond, beyond our understanding of ourselves. It says this, in 319 to 21. By this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Look at verse 20. This is great. Memorize this. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. God's heart is gracious and merciful and loving in a way that far exceeds our hearts that condemn us. And sometimes our hearts that condemn us are are acting out of this self-shaming stuff that we've learned and that we've spoken to others, these badges of sin that we wear in our lives. That didn't come from Genesis 3. That didn't come... In the heart of God. <laughs> Put verse 20 in your pocket and 
take it home. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Which is why, look at verse 21, keep it up there. 1 John 3, verse 21. The new name, the new badge, the new understanding of who we are because we have Christ, His justified perfect sinless life for us. Our new name is what he says in verse 21. Beloved, beloved, John says, if our heart, beloved, what does 1 John 3, 21 say? If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now, this isn't a word, this beloved word isn't a a word we use much nowadays, but there's a cool little feature of it I want to point out. That prefix B, B B-E, is uh, a prefix that comes from the meaning of completely, complete, total. Your new name in God's reckoning, not yours, not mine, not your sin and shame, not your past histories and failures, not the way your parents might have spoken to you, your friends used to ridicule, whatever the source, your new name in God's economy is completely loved, totally loved. Because that's how God loves. There, there is no halfway love for God. It's a total, complete love in a way that needs nothing more, in a way that is enough by itself, in a way that needs no further proof or justification, which means that if you call God Father, you are His adopted child, you are fully known, and you are fully loved. <laughs> which is to say, He sees you, He knows what happened, and He loves you completely nonetheless. That's what it means to say, fully known and fully loved. Which means, which means, in God's reckoning, in God's economy, beloved means you belong. Beloved means you belong. We have it totally backwards. We think we only belong when those around us and the message we get confirm our worth as being worthy of love. That's not how it works when the Father seeks after His children. In God's economy, beloved means you belong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you for this amazing truth. We want to create an environment here in this church body, among these relationships, in our families, in our marriages, where we live from the truth that we don't belong because we prove that we are worthy of love, but that it's the amazing truth that your total love for us is what establishes that we belong. You put us here. You gave us a new status through Jesus Christ. You have given us in His perfect sinless life right relationship with You we wouldn't otherwise know. And so Father, we ask for wisdom, live and to speak to act in our relationships with one another in the way uh, we think about ourselves from this amazing truth that you entirely know us better than we know ourselves and yet you entirely and totally and completely love us 
Father, forgive us for trading in that truth for the wiles of the world and the ways that uh, relational manipulation teach us a different lesson. Father, give us clarity, give us wisdom uh, so that we would esteem ourselves rightly because of who you are and that you love us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hey, real briefly, we want to just invite you, um, if you're ready for a next step of faith, whatever that is for you in your walk with God today, um, we'd love to talk with you. If you need somebody to pray with, um, we've got folks who have been praying for you and for the service during this service. Um, we've got care room, uh, care team folks who are here um, ready to talk with you. Whatever your need might be, maybe you're thinking, hey, it's time to be baptized. been thinking to pray about that. Maybe it's time for you to commit to this church as a member. Uh, maybe you need to pray. You've got questions. Maybe um, you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing and, and why should I follow him and this is new stuff for you uh, that may feel a little confusing. Um, if you've got questions of any type like that um, or whatever your next step of faith is, uh, we'd love to uh, be with you in that. So. Come forward as we stand and as we sing together.